0: Hear the word of the Lord. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory?
1: Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we just declare that you are the King of glory, Jesus. And you enter into this world that you have made. And we look to you, Lord, the one who made this world, the creator, the one to whom this world belongs and looks to. And we pray now as we just consider uh, your creation, that you would draw us more into your hearts and your purposes uh, for us in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it this Creation Sunday, uh, we have for our text this wonderful psalm, Psalm 24, and it sings of God as the almighty creator of the world. And I just want to uh, spend this time now just considering the earth is the Lord and what that means for us as creatures made by the creator God. Now the King James I love the King James uh, translation of the first verse of this psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And uh, the the great preacher C.H. Spurgeon writes, the earth is full of God. And I think that includes everything. It says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, whether rare or common, whether massive or microscopic, it belongs to God." And also includes everyone, the earth is the Lord's, the world and all who live in it. Whether rich or poor, advantaged or disadvantaged, joyful or in despair, you belong to the one who created you. Now Psalm 24 is attributed in the Bible to David, the great king and poet of Israel and a human ancestor of the Lord Jesus. And it has this kind of parallel structure. You might have uh, noticed the ring to it as it was read just now. Each line kind of has an echo that comes back. It was probably originally sung in, in a, two groups, two parts. One sings the first half, and then the other kind of answers with the second half of each verse. Uh, it may have been used in the temple. Uh, the Hebrews worshipped God. Our public and corporate declaration of God as the creator of the world. I just want to consider three different uh, things about uh, God as creator that we see in this psalm, just as we work through. The earth is the Lord's because he made it, he sanctifies it, and he redeems it. And in all of this, how do we live well in the world that God has created and placed us in? So that's where we're going. So firstly, the earth is the Lord's. He made it. It is his. Verse 2, we read, For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. And the key word here is for, right at the start of verse 2 there. Basically, that's because. The earth is the Lord's because he founded it. He established it. He made it. And every day we we live with this assumption, don't we, that if you make something, you have a kind of degree of ownership over it. And and I have a friend who is a talented woodworker uh, who I trained with uh, for ministry at Ridley Hall. And when I left, he gave me uh, this clock as a leaving present. I think we've got a a picture of it uh, to go up on the screen, just in case uh, you can't see it here. And... As I was preparing um, this sermon, I thought about this clock because it has been made by my friend. He took this piece of wood, he shaped it, um, he's fitted the clock mechanism in it. And it it kind of belongs to him, but he's given it to me. I couldn't just take it, I could, but in a sense it kind of belongs to him until he gives it um, to me. And we have the same idea just around us in life, don't we? And that also extends to kind of intellectual property as well. Um, you know, that's why we have, uh, we frown on things like copyright infringement or plagiarism at school or university. You know, if you take someone's idea that's not yours and pass it off as your own, you're doing something that's wrong. And I want to suggest that actually the intellectual and physical property of the world belongs to its creator, belongs to God. And the difference between him and us is he made everything from nothing. Not like us who make things out of stuff that already exists. My friend, as talented as he is, used that piece of wood and the mechanism. He didn't create those. He kind of took them and shaped them. Ultimately, it belongs to God. And it's a reminder that all we do and all we make all we think with our hands and with our minds, ultimately, it comes from and belongs to God. And we've got a choice whether to kind of hoard that which we think belongs to us or to dedicate it to the one who created all things and all people. The verse says, He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. What's going on here? Well, to understand what David is getting at. We need to enter into the mindset of the Old Testament and how the ancients understood the world. Now, I've got a diagram to put up uh, here. This is how this is uh, how the ancient Israelites understood the world. Um, it was seen as a, a kind of vast expanse of water, and God, when He created the world, kind of pushed back uh, this bubble. And the earth is like kind of the top of a giant iceberg, basically, that is kind of plopped um, into the water there. And you can see its pillars extending down um, into the deep. Psalmist is saying God made the earth. He set it down on the chaotic seas, made it firm and habitable. Now, I'm not for a moment suggesting that... The flat earthers have it right, but I'm saying that actually coming alongside the ancient saints of the Bible and seeing the world through their eyes as they write this beautiful poetry helps us to understand some deep truths about God as the creator um, from their perspective. Of course, today we know that the earth is round, um, that it orbits the sun, and that below the earth's surface is not water but magma. But that doesn't mean that that ancient Hebrew worldview should be ignored because it helps us to understand important things about God as the creator. And the key point really is the only reason we are here is because God made the world. That means every one of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, belongs to God. That means being loved by him being interesting to him, having a purpose from him, intended to be part of caring for the world with him. So my question is, what might it look like in your life, in my life, to lean more fully into that God-given calling and ownership in the world that he has created? The earth is the Lord's because he made it. Secondly, the earth is the Lord's because he sanctifies it. The psalm goes on. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And it's here that we have to face up to the disorder, the sin that we see in the creative world all is not as it should be and we all know it how can we live as proper residents of god's world I amid mean, all the disorder that we as a human species have brought upon it and we've been considering some of that in the uh, worship song we just sang and uh, in what jason has just been sharing with us you know, the the pollution the unsustainable living the injustice in society wars politics i could go on but in the midst of this god is good and holy and the world he has made is good and blessed by him genesis 1:31 god saw all that he had made and it was very good right at the start of the bible and genesis 1:22 God blessed the animals and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. God blesses his world and makes it holy. But in Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall, the entrance of sin into the world, humanity grasping for godlike power and mastery over that which was created and belongs to God. God. And we all see the outworking of that in the world today, and even in our own lives. Now, the great uh, 4th century theologian Augustine described sin as a life that's curved in on itself, being obsessed with our own desires, our own comfort, our own security. And the outworking of this is living the life that God gave us ignoring the world, ignoring the needs of the communities in which we are set. I don't know about you, but that sounds very, um, that sounds very apt to describe perhaps the, the world in which we live and the, the, you know, at an international level, the many systems that are kind of ingrained in the world. And after the fall, you know, the holiness of God remains, but it, it becomes dangerous. It becomes remote. Uh, it becomes a uh, place to be avoided by humanity who may ascend the mountain of the lord his holy place asks david here only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart only someone who l- truly lives in line with the will of the creator god that's someone who only someone whose hands are clean who does the right thing only someone whose heart is pure who wants the right thing only someone who's not us, basically. Not me, not you, not even the saintliest person that you can think of in their own strength. The earth is the Lord's because he sanctifies it, he makes it holy, and therefore it matters when our lives within God's good creation fall short of his purposes. And Again, we see this working its way out all around us. I don't know about you, but when I look at the troubles of the world on a global scale, the climate crisis, uh, deeply entrenched conflicts like that in the Middle East and other places, uh, the modern slave trade, I'm sure you could go on and add more. It's easy to feel completely overwhelmed uh, by the effects of human sin and see ourselves as kind of helpless pawns in these destructive systems. Only God himself is capable of the life that David seeks in the psalm. That life lived in communion with the creator. In other words, only Jesus, the son of God, who became human for our sakes, can live such a life. And so thanks be to God for John chapter 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son Earth is the Lord's because he sanctifies it. And thirdly, the earth is the Lord's because he redeems it. The psalm concludes with this rousing, triumphant crescendo, always kind of makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. All ancient cities were surrounded uh, by fortress walls uh, in order to keep the inhabitants safe and to enable a city to uh, defend itself if it was attacked by an enemy army. And last week, uh, we began a new preaching series in Nehemiah, which Jonathan uh, launched for us. And there we were considering... Uh, Nehemiah rebuilding these broken down walls around Jerusalem and how important that was. But of course, if you have a wall around, you need to have doors in that wall so you can get in and out, and the gate is a strategic weakness, so the the kind of gatehouse in the wall was the best defended point in the whole city wall. And the most secure cities had huge, heavy gates that were made of wood and metal, incredibly heavy and difficult to move, especially by force from outside. And the idea here is kind of like that of a a portcullis. I've got an image here. This is more modern than um, from David's time. Basically, you have this gate that's pulled up vertically. And so when it's open, literally, it has its head kind of raised up. For the King of glory, for Jesus Christ, God incarnate. These gates of the world are thrown open in welcome. There's even a sense in which the gates open themselves. It says, Lift up your heads, you gates. And we're reminded of Romans chapter 8, 19. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation just launches open its gates for God to come and redeem the world that he has made. There's also a sense um, of the ancient doors. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. This idea of these strong gates that have withstood countless assaults over the years, but they fling wide for the entrance of the creator. And King Jesus has entered into the world in a triumphant procession. And the gates that have opened for him remain open And we are invited to kind of join him, to walk in his slipstream behind him. Will you join him, following him on his way as we are given a way to live life as intended by the creator? Jesus has made possible a life lived without the despair of our sin and its effect on the world God created through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. Jesus shows us A new way of living, one which is in step with the Creator and involves respect for the world that God has made. Jesus doesn't just save us from our sins on the cross, but he releases us to live life as it was always intended by God. And so the question for us is this. Will we, as those who believe and trust in Jesus, and have been raised from death and sin with him, will we live the life that he calls us to, especially as we consider the state of the world? Will we live the life that Jesus calls us to and that God has intended for us? Will we live life as if we truly did believe that the world was full of God, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? The earth is the Lord's because he redeems it. So we come back to the opening line of the psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It is his. He made it, he sanctifies it, he redeems it. What would living this redeemed life that Jesus offers look like for you and for me, in our personal lives, in our life as a church, uh, in our life as a wider community, as a nation, and as a world. And as we think particularly about the climate crisis over the next few weeks, let's think and pray about what steps we can take in our lives to live lives that reflect that redemption that Jesus has won for us from sin, and to live in step with the Creator Of the world. That might involve getting plugged into the eco group here at church. Do speak to Jason, he's here tonight. I'm sure he would love to chat with you and pray with you. It could involve engaging in prayer leading up to the COP26 conference, which is coming up in a few months' time and is really key. And I think it should, for all of us, involve taking stock of our own lives, our lifestyle, and just bringing before God how we are living uh, ourselves and our families. By the grace of God, we we don't need to despair at the depths and effect of sin in the world, although it can seem so overwhelming. But we are called to action if we follow Jesus, the King of glory who's entered the world, who's still present by the Holy Spirit and is coming again to re-enter the earth soon. How will he find us? When he returns, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just declare that you are the good creator of this world. On this Creation Sunday, we look to you and amidst the uh, chaos and disorder that we see all around us and we can feel so helpless in the face of. We thank you that you sent Jesus to redeem, uh, to save. We pray that we might know that uh, in our hearts. So come, Holy Spirit. Just have a moment now to just... Uh, Listen to what the Spirit is stirring uh, within us and how we can live that redeemed life in the world that God has made and placed us in.